Well, hey, everybody, it's Eric Dryman, uh, host of the Hooks and Hoses podcast. Welcome. Hope everybody's having a good summer. Uh, for those of you that uh, took the time, thanks for putting in for FDIC 2024, the request for proposals. Uh, that deadline has passed, but um, now everybody waits to see who gets in and um, who gets the, the thanks, but it uh, uh, wasn't quite what we were looking for letter. So to all of you who put in out there, I wish you the best of luck uh, moving forward and hope to see a lot of you at FDIC 2024. One other uh, housekeeping note um, before I get started with tonight's topic. Um, if you watch this video, if you listen to the podcast on any of the platforms uh, that the, the podcast appears on, please like and rate the, the podcast itself. Those ratings mean a lot to me. They mean a lot to fire engineering. Um, you know, they help us get more views. They help the place in which our podcasts show up. Um, in the different search strings and things when people enter certain topics like firefighting podcast or, you know, leadership, firefighter leadership, different topics, search topics, those um, likes and shares and uh, any kind of promotion that you can do for any of the fire engineering podcasts means a lot to all the podcasters who are recording these for you um, because it just helps to, to drive our content and, and make it more visible to, to folks in the fire service who we're trying to reach. So, uh, we really appreciate that if you could help us to promote the podcast by liking and sharing them uh, whenever you have the opportunity. So with that being aside, getting that out of the way, um, tonight I'm going to talk about um, company officers, particularly newly promoted or aspiring company officers, and some of the things that I wish I would have known when I first got promoted to the rank of a lieutenant uh, so many years ago. Um, because you know, at the time, I, I thought that I was I was ready. Um, you know, I'd been a firefighter for eight or 10 years at that point. Um, you know, I'd certainly been to a lot of different trainings. I'd seen a lot of things. I'd had a lot of experiences. And I felt like I was prepared to take that next step. And although I won't say that that it was a huge um, challenge, I mean, there, there are always challenges when you promote or, or take on a new leadership role. Um, there were certainly things that I wish I would have known or or been coached on or talked to about prior to getting promoted. So that's kind of where I'm going today. And and I, I think that, you know, whether you've been an officer, you're you're aspiring or you're a newly promoted officer or you're you've been an officer for 15 or 20 years and maybe you're going from captain to battalion chief or you're switching stations or you're switching divisions within your own organization. I think a lot of these things that we talk about or I talk about tonight. Um, you know, if, if, if they're not new to you, it's certainly good to hear them. It's, it's a good refresher. Um, but at the same time, there's, there's a lot that you can take away from, I think, from these different topics that I'll cover, um, regardless of how much time you have as a, as a company officer. So I think, you know, when I talk about uh, promotion and uh, company officer development, when I've talked about it over the years, th there's two areas that I think that, that our skills can be broken down into. And th those are the hard skills and those are soft skills. And as a general rule, the hard skills are what I would consider the more managerial uh, things that we do as company officers, the policies and procedures, the uh, how to do a run report, how to give a size up, um, 
you know, how to how to delegate um, different tasks, things like that. Uh, the things that we can attend a class and be taught, right? We can be, we can go to school, uh, we can go to a leadership or a, a strategy and tactics class and learn how to give size ups and how to read a building and how to read smoke and all those sorts of things. Um, you know, we can certainly memorize policies and procedures and, and we understand the, you know, the vacation policy, funeral relief policy, the apparatus check policy, uh, you know, what PPE we're supposed to have for different types of emergency incidents, all those sorts of things. Those are hard skills. Those are things that we can be taught in a classroom setting or on the on a training ground, uh, and we can learn those or we can read them out of a book and, and practice those. The things that I, I feel like the fire service lacks, and, and I, I'm not singling out, I'm talking big umbrella here, the fire service in general, I think an area that we need to do a better job is developing our people and their soft skills and the soft skills are the things that that you you there's an endless list of things that we can be presented with as company officers that aren't necessarily in a book you know i i've often said if i could write a book that would teach you what to do when you have one of your one of your subordinates call you and say that his wife's filing for divorce what does he do or you're presented with a um an employee who, you know, is suicidal or thinks he might hurt himself or, um, you know, a lot of the things that maybe you have a policy for, but at the same time, the policy is in black and white and it's rigid. And my experience has been that although some policies are black and white and you have to follow them black and white, as a general rule, there's a lot of gray that goes into interpersonal communication, uh, different leadership styles, different ways of dealing with with different incidents, different, uh, more personal uh, one-on-one or view with your crew kind of things that unless you seek out the information from other, from sources, um, it can be a little challenging to, to be fully prepared to take on a new role as a supervisor, whether you're a captain or a lieutenant or a chief, whatever it might be. So that's kind of what I'm going to dwell on is soft skills, particularly I'm going to address more of this towards the aspiring uh, entry level leader, whether your your first rank in your organization is sergeant or it's lieutenant or it's captain, whatever rank you would go from at the level of firefighter up to that first level supervisory position where you're sitting in the right front seat of your apparatus. So those are that's that's kind of how I want to cover this tonight. And I've got five big ones um, as we roll through and conclude, I'm going to talk a little bit about some books. Uh, You know, there are certainly fire service books out there that we can use as references and read and certainly gain some of this knowledge. Um, But there's a a vast number of books that you wouldn't necessarily think of from a fire service perspective that'll offer you um, insight and perspective into how to start to develop these soft skills and how to learn to communicate with people and deal with with people's personal problems and, and function, you know, from an interpersonal relationship standpoint, rather than just a manager's standpoint where you cite the policy and this is what we always do. And, you know, it's black and white and those sorts of things. So um, the first item on the list that I have is uh, being newly promoted doesn't mean that you know everything. Um, One of the mistakes that I made uh, at one of my early assignments was, 
I went into that assignment thinking that I already knew more than than some of the people that I wor- was going in to work with simply because I had so much more time on the department than they did. And that's that's just absolutely there are certain things that I no doubt probably knew more about than they did. But at the same time, if you're going into a new position, I think it's very important, one, from a buy in perspective as a new officer to take those those other firefighters input and and value what they bring to the table. You know, if you're going to a new firehouse or you're switching shifts um, or you're moving to a different uh, division within the organization, for example, you're going from the companies to uh, fire investigations or to the training division or, you know, you, you name it, um, any, any of the different areas that the fire service covers besides making emergency runs. I think it's important for you to, to talk to your people, see how they like to do things, ask your people what they normally do on a day-to-day basis, how they respond to runs, what, what sorts of things, um, work well for them, uh, versus what, um, doesn't work well for them. You know, if you worked in a area where you were predominantly responded to uh, single family residences, and now you've moved to a firehouse with um, apartment buildings and high rise office buildings or hotels or heavy industry or, you know, light industrial, um, there's going to be differences, right? We, We won't be able to function with the same tools and the same skills and the same thought process if we're changing the areas that we're going to, or we're going from being on an engine company to a ladder company, or we're going from a, a ladder to a rescue company or, or, or whatever those things are, there are going to be differences, even though the job in general is, is, you know, to minimize uh, life loss and, and save, save people from tight situations and put out fires. The way that we're going to accomplish those things, depending upon where we're working is going to, is going to differ. So, it's important to to talk to your people, ask them what they normally do on different runs, how they like how how they run the firehouse. You know, when do they uh, like to do housework? When do they like to go to the store? Um, you know, if you're in an administrative position, you know what what different tasks. You know, is is there a delegation of different tasks and activities that take place based upon who's working that day or you know, which office a person occupies or whatever the case might be, get that input from your folks because it's going to make them one. It's going to, it's going to let them know that you value their input right off the bat. And you should, because they probably know a lot more about the area that you're coming into or the firehouse that you're coming into if they've been there for a while than you will. So get that buy-in from your folks, ask them, you know, how they like to do things. How did the previous officer do things? Did that work? Were there things they want to try and change? Things like that. Also, I would I would recommend that um, you kind of don't come in to a to a new uh, assignment and just start making changes for the sake of making changes because you're the boss now and and you're allowed to do that and you know you will respect my authority kind of thing, right? Um, again, you're going to, you're going to lose some folks, um, the level of respect that you're going to get from your, from, from the people that you're working with is going to be diminished. 
So I think, and, and I did this in my most recent assignment when I left the training division and I went back to the street um, as a battalion chief, I, I took the first six months of, of my new assignment and I had some deal breakers, you know, some absolutes that I went out and, and met with all the firehouses about when I first first went back on the street. Uh, but I didn't feel that it was prudent for me to go in and say, we will always do this or we will never do that. Um, you know, we will always pull this line. We will always lay out this supply line. You know, you will always put your apparatus here or there based upon order of arrival, things like that. I don't think that I didn't think that that was good because I needed to learn my role and my job um, as a new battalion chief, you know, on the street uh, rather than just go out there and start setting mandates and telling people how they were going to do things. Because again, you know, I've got five firehouses that I'm responsible for uh, many, many square miles, multiple different types of occupancies and, and uh, neighborhoods, um, complexes, everything like that. Those people in those stations know how to manage those incidents better than I did coming into that role as a new battalion chief. Um, simply because they know the area better than I do and they know their apparatus and how things, how things work best, even among different firehouses when they're running in together. So I, I encourage you to, you know, you can have your meeting. I encourage you to meet with your folks. If you're newly promoted, sit down with them on the first day and say, um, you know, here's some things that are deal breakers for me. These are the absolutes, you know, things like, you know, if you're, if one of your absolutes is, you know, if shift changes at 8 a.m., then by 8 a.m. everybody needs to be in uniform or, um, you know, you got to make sure that the apparatus are checked as soon as, uh, you know, you get switched into your uniform or, or whatever your rules are, whatever your expectations are, your people. You can have those, you know, it should be a relatively short list, in my opinion, of, of uh, absolutes, at least initially. And then as time built goes on and you start to learn and observe the folks and see how things flow, Certainly, you're probably going to have some suggestions or some improvements or some expectations that may differ from how those people are used to operating. But as a general rule, just take a break coming in um, as far as just getting your feet wet. Because remember, if you're coming in as a newly promoted officer or you're switching firehouses or you're switching divisions within your organization, there's a whole lot of stuff you, you, you have to learn yourself um, without trying to you know, tell other people how to do their job, um, just unless it's absolutely necessary. If you see something, you know, that's obviously blatant, that's a safety concern, that it's, that it's, you know, it's a no-go, absolutely unacceptable, certainly you're going to address those things. But as a general rule, um, allow a little bit of flexibility for your folks coming in uh, to a new assignment, um, you know, whatever that might be. If people have a question for you, uh, and this one, this was one that I was taught um, pretty early on in my career um, by some by some other uh, officers and firefighters. If somebody comes to you and asks you a question and you don't know the answer, don't BS them. Don't say, "Well, this is what I would do." Blah 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 blah. And this is the answer, and this is the way it should be done. Um, and just kind of shoot from the hip, uh, because if you're wrong, now you've one. You brought your your trust your your trust into uh, question there. You know, if the, if a firefighter comes to you on the fire ground and asks you for uh, input or advice, or you know, they, they've got to be able to trust you, right? And we'll, we'll get into some different leadership styles here in a little bit. Um, 
but they have to be able to trust you. And if, if you BS them or you um, give them a half, half truth rather than, than what they really need to know, then that's going to call your integrity into question and your knowledge and your skills and your abilities. So, you know, if they ask you a question, you don't know the answer, say, you know what, that's a good question. And I'm not quite sure, but let's go look it up in the policy manual, the operations manual, or, you know, that's a good question about, you know, I'll just say fire inspections, right? Um, I'm not sure what the minimum clearance is from an exit for a, you know, a compressed gas cylinder, just pick something out of the air, you know, just for the example. Um, you know, I'm not sure. Let's call the, the you know, court enforcement division or let's look it up online. You know, you got a copy of your your codes, your uh, fire codes and your building codes online. So, um, you know, it, th there's no shame in saying you don't know um, as long as you do your due diligence and you, you get that answer. Because not only are you going to educate the person who came to you and ask you that question, you're also going to educate yourself if you don't know that answer. And and between those two things, you're going to build that trust with the person that came and asked you that question that one, you took their question seriously and, you, and you're going to help them find their answer. And secondly, they, they learn to be able to trust you. And they, they, they know that, you know, if, if Dryman tells me this is the answer, then he wouldn't tell me it was the answer unless he was pretty sure they knew what he was talking about. If, 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 you, if Dryman come, if I come to Dryman and I ask him a question and, and uh, you know, he doesn't know. Well, you know, there's no way to know everything on this job, but but he always takes the time to find out for me. And at the same time, he's going to educate me. He's going to educate himself. and He's going to educate the crew so that the next time this comes up, everybody's going to know what what needs to be done. So I, I think you buy, you get a lot of buying from your folks. And believe me, there's no better, in my opinion, there's, you know, cops and firemen. Um, they can pick up on the BS pretty quick, right? If they don't think you're legit or they, they don't think you're being sincere with them. So, um, you know, just a couple of things there from a, from a trust standpoint, I think they're important. Um, the other big one, uh, particularly for, for newly promoted officers is you got to know your role on an emergency scene, right? We're going from being a black hat um, or whatever color your department wears for, for entry level firefighter, where your role and responsibility has always been, to perform a task, um, you know, you're you're pulling a hose, you're taking a blood pressure, you're uh, pulling ceiling, you're throwing a ladder, uh, wh whatever the case might be. You're, you know, as a firefighter, we we perform tasks. Uh, once you make that step up to company officer, and um, I will preface this by saying that I know that there are many fire departments who are understaffed and call upon, have, the company officers are called upon to perform tasks as a routine part of their job. I get that. And that's going to happen. It happens in Indianapolis. It happens in New York City. Uh, you know, it happens at the smallest, smallest volunteer organization in, in, anywhere in the country, right? Um, but the, but the, the takeaway from that is, and what my point is, that now as a company officer, even though you may be re required to perform some tasks at an emergency scene, that shouldn't be your go-to. That shouldn't be your default that, Hey, you know, you know, I'm the Lieutenant on an engine company. So my job is to catch the hydrant. No, your job is not to catch the hydrant. Your job is not to go back and shoulder the, the, the shoulder load um, and get it to the front door. Your job is to think your job is to be watching out for your people. Your job is to be making decisions 
as you know, that should be your first priority is, is those things. If there's a secondary need for you to perform a task and it's going to help to stabilize the situation and it's absolutely necessary because there's nobody else to do it. I, everybody understands that and you're going to do what is best for yourself, your people and the, the situation that you're, you're presented with to make sure that it gets resolved in the safest and quickest and most efficient manner possible. So, but as a general rule, you're taught to think now. You're taught to watch out for your people. I often use the example that as a firefighter, the only thing that you really have to worry about is yourself. Uh, you know, at, at an emergency scene, you're going to a fire, you're going to a medical run, you're going to a car accident with entrapment. You have yourself and whatever task that you're assigned, right? That, that is the sole focus of what you're, as a general rule, that's what you're going to be focusing on. When you become a company officer, whether you have it's you and an engineer or, or a driver. If you only have apparatus with two people on them, or it's it's three, you know, three of you, you and a firefighter and an engineer, or there's four of you on your apparatus, or maybe more, depending upon your organization. Now, as a company officer, you're not only responsible for yourself, but you're responsible for the other people that are that are on that apparatus with you. And and I'll I'll expand that out a little bit more in saying that. Not only are you responsible to that to those other firefighters that are on that apparatus with you, but you're also responsible to their their families, right? Their spouses, their children, um, you know, girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever you know your flavor is. Um, it's up to you to make sure that if you show up with yourself and three other firefighters on your apparatus, that you go home with with the same four people, right? So your responsibility is not just yourself anymore. It's, 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 it's expanded significantly. And on top of that is uh, on top of that, you know, certainly firefighters, we want them to look professional. We want them to act professional. We want them to represent the fire service and their organization in a professional manner. But at this, but as a company officer, your, your role in representing the organization is, is elevated even that much more now because now you are the figurehead for that apparatus or you are the figurehead for that firehouse. So if one of your people does something wrong or does something stupid, you know, intentionally, maybe they get in an argument with a patient or they insult somebody, whether it was intentional or accidental, that's going to come back on you. So it's important to understand that um, you're not the task oriented person that you were when you were riding on the back of a fire truck. Um, now you have that responsibility to not only watch out for your folks, but you have that greater responsibility to represent your organization, um, the firehouse that you work in, the fire company that you work on. All of those things go along with with being your being a company officer. Now, um, the next thing I'll say is you've got to hold your people accountable, um, and by by that I mean that you know if if you come in early early on in your transition, you say, we're going to, on every fire alarm, we're going to get off the apparatus like the building's burning. You know, we're going to have all of our PPE on. We're going to have our hoods on. We're going to have our SCBAs on our back. We're going to have our waist straps fastened, um, you know, tools in our hands, um, ready to go to work. We're not going to be one of those companies that we're going to get off in our bunker pants. Um, and walk up to the front door with our bunker pants and a t-shirt on and a baseball hat 
uh, because we all know that 99.9% of fire alarms are nothing. Um, you know, we're not going to be that company. We're not going to be caught with our pants down. We're not going to be caught behind the eight ball. We're always going to come off ready to work, uh, squared away, right? So you've got to hold your people accountable. Same with the uniforms, same with the grooming policy, same with um, how we're going to respond to emergencies, what we're going to do as a team for apparatus checkouts or training or, or uh, you know, physical fitness or whatever the case might be. You need to hold your people accountable. It's it's very easy, you know, the whole concept of buddy to boss. And, you know, I don't want to be their boss. I just want to be their buddy. And I want everybody to get along. Um, you can be their friend um, and you can you can hang out with them in the firehouse or or the fire hall or, um, you know, you can go play golf together. You can go play tennis together. You can go out for dinner and drinks together, you know whatever your flavor is, those are perfectly acceptable. But at the end of the day, when the rubber meets the road, if you say, you know, these are my expectations of you guys, you know, I expect you to do A, B, C, D all the way through whatever, however however many of them you have, um, you've got to hold them accountable because it's a slippery slope when you let, you know, if you say, hey, we're not going to wear white tennis shoes, you know, if we're out in public, I want everybody to to be wearing, you know, black tennis shoes, you know, the policy says no, no brightly colored tennis shoes or no body piercings or, um, you know, different things. And then as soon as you start letting that one person slip, then, you know, people, particularly as a new company officer, people are going to be trying to see just how far they can push you and how much you are going to let them get away with. So it's important to understand that you've got to have boundaries and you've got to hold your people accountable and say, you know, hey, I told you, you know, that muscle shirt, you know, I, you know, yeah, it says ABC Fire Department on it, but you cut the sleeves off of it. You're not wearing that out in public. You know, if you want to lift weights in it, you want to run on the treadmill in it, that's great. But, you know, you get one freebie, you know, you made this EMS run or you went on this alarm run um, with that on and you had your coat, you didn't have your coat on to hide it. You know, when we were out on the street, that's unacceptable or, you know, your mustache is too long or, hey, you got, you know, hey, dude, you can't have, you know, your big hoop earrings in when we're making making fire runs. Right. It's not it's not part of the the grooming standard or whatever. So you got to hold your people accountable and you got to make sure that, uh, that that they follow your rules. Also, it's important with with that accountability is um, and, and I mentioned delegation earlier, but. This is kind of it's loosely they're tied together. But if I hold somebody accountable, then and they know that I'm going to hold them accountable, then. Once you develop that trust and that rapport with your crew, then you can also delegate. Right. And say, you know, I don't need to supervise. How X gets done in the firehouse when we're there for 24 hours or if, if you're in a volunteer organization, you know, if you do certain things on certain days of the week or whatever. Ultimately, I'm responsible for what happens and what takes place there as the officer. Um, and, I, and I'll have to answer for that if things don't get done right or there's an issue. Uh, at the same time, you want to be able to delegate to your folks. Um, and the more that you delegate to them and the more that they hold up their end of the bargain and they show that they're accountable to you and that they follow your orders and they, they understand your expectations, then the more you can delegate to them, and help them to, again, get buy-in, um, 
make them feel like they're part of the decision making process. Because, you know, if I say, hey, we're going to do housework um, every day unless we got to run or something crazy comes up last minute, like a, a tour or a safety talk to a group of kids or, you know, pick something um, every day between 9.30 and 10, we're going to do the housework or we're going to wash the apparatus or, you know, we're going to do whatever, right? Um, there are going to be times, and, and certainly as an officer, you want to be involved in those things. You never want to feel like or act like you're too good to do a task that needs done. Um, you also don't have to supervise every task that gets done, right? You should be able to delegate those those activities out to other people. And then one, that, that helps them to develop some of their own decision-making skills about how things get accomplished. And secondly, it shows that you trust them. And, and those are two very important things. One, from a career development standpoint in helping folks develop those skills that they're going to need when it's their time to promote or that it's their time to move on to another station uh, or a different position within your organization. They're going to have, have some foundation and some groundwork for developing uh, some of those decision-making skills. And it's also going to kind of show them they're going to remember that, right? If they felt like they were valued, if they felt like they were trusted, if they felt like they were being held accountable, but they weren't, they didn't have an officer who was breathing down their neck all the time, micromanaging everything. Those memories and those, ex, you know, those experiences are going to translate into helping that person become a good officer for, for the people that they lead in the future. So, you know, it's, it comes full circle in the end. Um, uh, the the fifth thing here um, on my list is um, know your responsibilities based upon and I use we use the term or, order of arrival in, in Indianapolis in our organization but um, we know that if you're the first engine you do this if you're the second engine you do that first ladder second ladder uh, so on and so forth down the line um, there are certainly you know it's not written in stone it's not absolute you know the basically our first engine is going to lay a line supply line if they have smoke showing or that we get multiple calls something gets marked working in route their their responsibility is to drop somebody off at the hydrant to lay a supply line and then they're going to be once they arrive on scene the company officer is going to give their size up and they're going to become attack okay so that's that's what our first engine does right now if you pull up and you got six people hanging out of a out of a window with with heavy smoke and what looks to soon be fire blowing out behind them. Does that mean they're going to leave those people hanging up there and, and just run in and start putting, you know, with their hand line and start putting the fire out? No, they're going to deviate from that. They probably are going to throw a ladder or do some sort of activity that's going to deviate from their standard order of arrival. That's okay in those circumstances. But as a general rule, we have that set out. And, and hopefully in all your organizations, you do as well. You have a, a set pattern of, which apparatus does what, uh, all the way down to, you know, some organizations, and I know in the volunteer fire service, it's certainly more challenging, but it's not insurmountable that, that you know, we take it down to the point where, you know, as a company officer, I would, I would say that, hey, if you're sitting in this seat, this is your job. You're going to grab these tools uh, for this type of incident. You're going to grab these tools for this type of incident or, if, you know, whatever it was, whether it was on an engine or a truck company or a rescue company, everybody should know what their role is going in. And and that goes back to having the conversation with your people, right? Um, because 
if I say, hey, if we get an, a report of an apartment fire, we're going to take a set of irons and a pecan, um, and that's all we're going to take. Um, the guys that you're working with might say, hey, uh, Captain LT, you know, certainly we, we do take irons, but, you know, these apartment complexes, you know, we might have to force eight, 10, 12 doors, um, depending upon the circumstance. We found that, you know, having the irons is certainly good, um, but we always try and take a hydro ram too. So would it be okay if, if we take the hydro ram with us as well, or the rabbit tool or whatever other kind of hydraulic assisted forcible entry tool your organization uses. So, or if I say we're going to take six foot hooks in, uh, anytime we get a fire in this neighborhood, you know, I, I want everybody to have a six foot hook. Um, and they say, we know the really chief or LT, the, a lot of the ceilings in this neighborhood are nine and 10 feet tall because they're older homes and they've been, you know, they're part of the historic district and they're, they're in the original state they were when they were built in the, in the late 1800s. So, um, not that we couldn't use a six footer that might, you know, we probably should take at least one. Um, but you know, really, you know, the eight and 10 foot hooks work better for us, um, in this part of town because of, uh, the height of the ceilings and different things like that. So, um, you know, that, again, that's a conversation that you have well before the tones go off. It's not a conversation you're having going down the street, running lights and sirens. Um, but having those conversations up front is going to, is going to make you look like a much more professional and certainly help you do your job better when you get to a fire scene. And as a, as a company officer, and now, you know, from whether it was Lieutenant captain, now as a battalion chief, um, when I was a Lieutenant or a captain, uh, I always wanted to be one of those companies that was, that was squared away. And that, that, you know, the incident commander knew that if they needed something done and, and myself and, and the crew were standing there that, if they gave us an assignment that we knew how to accomplish it, then it was going to be done as quickly and as safely and as efficiently as possible. So, you know, you're developing those things ahead of time by having those conversations with your people, talking about what the, uh, your department's policies are as far as which apparatus do, um, what tasks at a fire ground based upon where they park or, you know, the order they arrive in or, or whatever sort of system that you have in place. It's important for you as a company officer and for your folks to certainly know those things, but it, it, you need to take it just one step further and have those conversations about, Hey, who's going to grab what, who's going to do this at this type of fire. If we have this kind of building construction. How are we going to force entry? You know, if we have this kind of roof, you know, what, you know, if we've got a flat roof and we have to ventilate it, it's an entirely different animal than if we've got a pitched roof. Right. So all those sorts of conversations need to take, take place earlier on in your new tenure or in your new assignment, uh, your new, new promotion, uh, whatever the case might be, just so that you can get everybody on the same page. So that when you do show up on a run, one, you look professional, but even more importantly, you're able to do the job as quickly and as efficiently as possible to stabilize and ultimately mitigate the situation that you're presented with, whether it's a medical run, whether it's a fire run, a, hazmat run, you know, whatever the, the type of run is that we get called to um, these days. It's important to have those kind of predetermined roles and assignments and things laid out ahead of time, go a lot farther, make things a lot smoother for you. Um, so those are the five big things. And certainly I, I, I'm not saying that this is an all-inclusive list. Um, you know, we could break it down into individual, hey, if you're on an engine or a ladder or a specialty company, or you're working in the training division or fire investigations unit or code enforcement division, you know, we could, 
we could, you know, we could spend eight hours or more just talking about any one of those things, certainly. But just as, you know, trying to keep it a little bit more condensed, you know, I've been talking for about 35 minutes now. Um, uh, you know, it's just trying to keep it narrow, narrowly focused and, and, and give you some ideas some things to think about um, moving forward. Um, you know, whether you're newly promoted, whether you're aspiring, whether you're moving assignments, things like that. All, I think all there's takeaways from all this um, discussion that I've, I've just been going through today. So um, kind of one of the last things I want to do, and I mentioned it earlier on in the podcast is, you know, I mentioned books. Um, I kind of go in spurts. I'm not going to tell you that I'm the most voracious reader in the world that, you know, I've always got a book in my hand if I'm not, not working or, you know, doing laundry or cooking or whatever. I'm, I'm not that guy. Right. Um, I kind of go in spurts where I'll, I'll read two or three books in a row and then I might not read a couple, right. Might not read a book for a couple of three months or, you know, I might take the summer off cause I'm just busy and, and the weather's nice. And then when the winter comes around again and the weather gets crappy, you know, I start reading again, um, more consistently, but, um, I think it's important whether you're, you know, regardless of your rank, you know, you could stay a, 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 a firefighter for your entire career and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I've known some great, great, great career firefighters, some volunteer firefighters who were just awesome and they had no desire to promote. They had no aspirations to be, um, you know, an engineer and drive an apparatus or be a, be an officer or a chief or anything like that. And you need those people because they're very good at their job. Um, so I don't want to take anything away from those from those folks. Um, you know, they can gain a lot from reading as well, um, not only from a tactics standpoint, but also from a personal development and leadership uh, perspective and things like that. Um, one thing I always like to tell people is, you know, we, we this conversation and this monologue that I'm doing today basically is for people who want to become company officers or who are earlier on in their company officer career. But you have to remember that if you're better at decision making, if you're better at interpersonal communications, if you're better at listening, um, certainly that helps you do your job better. I think everybody would agree with that. But guess what else it does? It also makes you a better dad. It makes you a better best friend. It makes you a better husband or wife, it makes you a better um, mentor to somebody else, even somebody that's not on the fire department because those skills transcend and, and go across the spectrum from being a lieutenant on an engine company to being a dad with a 16 year old that, you know, is, is rebelling and you're trying to deal with their issue. You know, that this stuff spans the, the gamut of uh, where you can apply it. So uh, again, just like the five points that I mentioned um, as part of my discussion, um, you know, this list of books is not all inclusive, but, um, but there are books that I've all, all the books that I'm going to go through, I've read and, and I got something out of them. Um, one thing that I will say, and when I'm looking for a book, a lot of times I will be listening to a podcast, um, or watching a, a YouTube video or something like that when an interview with a firefighter or somebody from the military or from private industry or whatever, and they will bring up a book. I will go look that book up on Amazon or Google, um, you know, whatever your flavor of the month is. Um, and I will look at the reviews for that book. Uh, one, I want to see how many people have read it. You know, if I see a book that has five stars, but only four people have read it, that means a little bit something different to me than if I look and there's a book that has 500 
reviews and it has a 4.2, right? Um, and then I go and I read those reviews and I look at what people are saying about the book. Um, you know, what was good about it, what was bad about it. And, and that's kind of how I make, make a decision if I'm just buying a book off the cuff uh, without or looking for a book to buy um, off the cuff on whatever topic I'm wanting to learn about um, is I use those reviews, um, you know, whether it's stars or check marks or thumbs ups or whatever the website uses. Um, and then I actually read the reviews that people left and, and see what what they thought about the book, right? both the good ones and the bad ones. A lot of times I get more out of the bad ones than I do the good ones because the good ones will say, oh, man, this was the best book I ever read. Well, that's great. But how many books have you read? Is this your fourth book or is this your 400th book right on this topic uh, versus somebody who says, you know, I've read this book. It's OK, but, you know, there are better books out there. Right. Or something like that. So you got to take take all that into balance when you're looking for books. But um, certainly you can get a lot of recommendations from people, um, whether it's from reading an article uh, listening to a podcast, listening to an interview on TV, whatever it is. But some of the books that I've gotten a lot out of, out of are a book called Leaders Eat Last. Um, some of you may have read it. Some of you may have heard of it. It's by a guy named Simon Sinek. Um, <clears throat> it's a very interesting guy when you listen to him talk. Um, he He's he's on YouTube. Um, you know, he, he's on podcasts um, quite a bit, does TED Talks and all that sort of stuff. Um, but he's known for his leadership development um, business and, and acumen. So that's a really good book. He has several books out, but that's just one in particular that that I like. I've read several of his books, uh, Leaders Eat Last. Um, another book um, that I like, I just recently finished it. It's called I Love It Here. Uh, it's by a guy named Clint Pulver. Um, and again, it just talks about being a good leader, how to develop leadership, how to develop a workplace where people want to work, um, how people um, can interact and and physically feel like they're valued and, you know, their, their, their time is being um, the time that they're putting into their to the effort um, is worthwhile, that they're not just wasting their time. They're not just spinning their wheels. Um, a book by a, the first two books I, I just mentioned um, were not by firefighters. So the next two books that I mentioned are by firefighters. The first one is called Leadership Values um, by a guy named Gary Appleby, who uh, is a firefighter, a deputy chief, I believe was the rank that he retired at from Philadelphia uh, Fire Department. And again, that's a very good book. Um, and, you know, and it's more fire service based. So, you know, you can you can relate, you know, as firefighters, we can relate to um, in many, many aspects of that book, maybe um, from personal experience or hearing stories from other people who, who have experienced similar things. Um, the next book's no secret. Many of you, again, have probably read it. Uh, it's called Pride and Ownership by Rick Lasky. Um, I call, I, I call this the, uh, the, uh, the rah-rah speech kind of book, um, because it talks a lot. Again, it's, it's pride. It's, it's having pride, not only the pride, um, in your organization, but, but pride in your company and pride in the folks that you work with and, and, and pride in this, you know, in this career, whether it's paid or volunteer, this vocation that you've, you've taken on and what that means, uh, from a 
brother and sisterhood perspective and a teamwork perspective, all that sort of stuff. Again, it's very good um, to kind of help develop some of your own leadership styles and your own thought processes. Um, the next book I got a lot out of um, is called The Generals. Uh, and this book is actually about uh, from World War II up to modern day, different generals along the way. But the part that I enjoyed the most was um, the part about the generals from World War II. When you talk about Eisenhower as the Supreme Allied Commander. You had George Patton uh, running his tanks all over the uh, all over Europe. You had um, Douglas MacArthur out in the Pacific. Um, you had Omar Bradley, who was the confidant uh, and and kind of the executive officer, right hand man for uh, um, Eisenhower, and how all their different personalities and their leadership styles. They certainly all worked. They were all great generals. Um, and they certainly accomplished a lot and we owe a lot to them, um, you know, today we wouldn't probably be here where we are today if it wasn't for folks like that who led, um, you know, our, our military during that, that, uh, tough time during World War II. But it, it just talks about their different styles and how, how they dealt with different issues. And, you know, while one person might be more reserved and, and contemplative about it, you know, another person was more in your face, um, you know, down your throat, barking orders kind of thing. And, and they all accomplished their missions, but in different ways. And it, I, f I found it fascinating. Uh, it's certainly a, a study on leadership and different leadership styles and how how different leadership styles, um, you know, are used in different situations and those successes and some of the failures that they had with those. Um, Band of Brothers, everybody's probably heard of the, the miniseries. Um, but um, Richard Winters, um, who was major winners in the, in the miniseries uh, has some books out. And um, again, it, the, the, just studying how uh, winners went through his career, you know, becoming a newly promoted officer and, and starting out um, early on when they were training to be paratroopers and, and um, getting into shape before they shipped overseas and how his leadership style changed and developed and, and manifested itself throughout his career. Um, you know, you can kind of grow with him and see how not only did he certainly mature and become uh, a better soldier, but he also became a better leader um, because of his experiences and what he learned, you know, and the, and the fact that, you know, he, he never forgot that, you know, as a leader, you're, you should, you should be up front and you should be towards the front where the action is, you know, particularly as an entry level um, leader, it's going to be different if you're a chief officer, for example, but, you know, as a lieutenant or a captain on a on a fire apparatus um, earlier on in your career, you're going to be up there with your folks. Right. You should be right up there with them and and helping them as much as you can to accomplish the task and not just stand back in the cheap seats where it's not as smoky or or not as hot. And, uh, you know, talk to them and direct them and dictate them without uh, without being part of that. So. Again, I, you know, something I took away from that was was his style. And then um, lastly, the last book against military, there's, you know, there's three, the last three books I mentioned here are military books because I think there are a lot of things that we can, uh, certainly I'm not comparing the the trials and tribulations and, and uh, death and destruction of soldiers who fought in combat to what we do on the, in the fire service. There's no way to do that, but um nor would I try, but um, I do think that there there's a lot that you can take away from from those leadership 
situations, those challenges that they have. Because you got to remember, as a lieutenant, you know, you might be as in a, in the military, you might be assigned a platoon, which is 25, 30 people thereabouts. So, um, if a lieutenant in a military organization can manage, um, you know, 25 to 30 people in a platoon sized unit, um, there's a pretty good chance you're probably going to be able to draw some parallels between that and what you have to do with a with a company of you know three or four people that you work with there's going to be some some similar takeaways that you could get from that so um i mentioned band of brothers the last one is um um hal moore who was um you probably heard of the movie we were soldiers once and young uh that movie was made about him and the uh the troubles that he had during one particular battle during the Vietnam War, uh, early on in the Vietnam War. But he also has a book out on, it's called How More on Leadership, um, where, you know, he talks a lot about leadership development and the, and the role of a leader, um, not only in the, in a non-combat uh, situation, you know, which I would equate to us around the firehouse, um, doing the, the more mundane routine things that we do, but also how to be that leader um, in combat when, when things aren't going the way that you want them to go and, and how you manage to rally your personnel and how you manage to keep morale up and how you manage to um, get the task accomplished, um, you know, by whatever means necessary while still at the same time looking out for your folks and trying to keep them as safe as possible. So uh, certainly there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of takeaways or I got a lot of takeaways from that. Um, you know, this is this is a very short list. I could have made this list 30 or 40 books long, probably. Um, but I really didn't want to do that. One, because um, you've all you all are going to over your career, you're going to develop your own style, own areas where you're better and areas where you're, you know, you, you struggle um, or you need more help. Um, but, you know, this is a pretty good starting point, particularly if you if you want to learn more about leadership, you know, regardless of how much time you've had on the job, uh, whether you're just starting out or you've been a company officer for many, many years. Um, you know, I, I highly encourage everybody to try and read something. Um, you, again, you don't have to be a prof prolific reader. If it takes you um, three months to read a book, then it takes you three months. But guess what? At the end of that three months, that's one more book that you've read that you wouldn't have read otherwise. So that's going to be more information that you can use to help you be a better leader um in your organization because that's what we want to build right we, anybody we can crank out managers a dime a dozen we can teach anybody how to follow see the policies the procedures and how to enforce the rules um as absolutes um, what we have to try and start doing is developing our leaders so that certainly they know the policies and procedures and they know the rules but at the same time they have to know how to use those policies and procedures and rules um in the gray not the black and white right um some of you've probably heard me use that that analogy before but i always say that you know when we're when we're teaching recruits we're teaching them how to be firefighters in the black and white particularly if they don't have any experience right we have to teach them the black and the white we have to teach them the technical step you do step one two three four five when you pull a shoulder carrier you do one two three four five when you when you raise an extension ladder um, but we all know that not not all those steps we're going to do every time once we've got five or ten years of experience on the street and we we've learned um, areas where we can 
we can get away with cutting a step or cutting a corner, right? The problem is that as newly hired people, um, we don't know enough. We don't know what we don't know, to use another uh, phrase. Uh, we have to be taught the proper procedure to do something before we can develop ways to make that process faster or more efficient, right? Depending upon um, our experience level. And, and some of that goes with being a, an officer. Um, we're very good at teaching people how to be managers, which is operating in the black and the white. What we need to do is help our people to develop, um, graduate from being that manager to really being that leader that we want them to be and being able to function in the gray where they're still maintaining the, um, the intent and, and the spirit of a policy and procedure um, following the rules. But at the same time, you know, there's, there's going to be situations where there's going to have to be some flexibility or there's going to have to be um, some wiggle room. And, and, and that's where becoming a leader to me really starts to take shape. When, when you get the mission accomplished without doing anything that is illegal, immoral, or unethical, because those are the three big deal breakers, right? Uh, if it's illegal, immoral, or unethical, then it's off the table. Um, if it's not one of those three things, it accomplishes the mission, and um, and it gets us where we need to be. Then then we may be able to find some wiggle room or some ways to to work through different circumstances. And that's where becoming a leader really starts to to pay off for you um, as a company officer. So. Uh, I could go on. I, you know, I'm kind of rambling at this point, but uh, I wanted to get that one last uh, point in after I talked about the books. But uh, again, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Um, I always say that I'm always looking for guests to come on. I'm always looking for topics to talk about. Um, you know, I'm excited. You know, this new platform here where we're doing video now with our podcast. Certainly, you can still find the podcast on. You know, all the audio podcasts. Um, on the platforms that you always have. But now we're transitioning to this new platform where our podcasts are going to be recorded every month. So I didn't have a, I, my guest, and I've got a guest that I was going to try and get on for this month, but it didn't quite work out because I just got back from vacation and, and everything. So um, hoping to move forward. We're going to start having more guests on now, particularly since we're doing video. So you don't have to just sit here and look at me all, you know, the whole hour, hour and a half we're talking. Um, got some guests lined up coming for, you know, coming up in the, in the late summer and into the fall and winter. So that's going to be good. But, um, you know, you're, we're available on YouTube now. So, um, if you've got topics you want to hear about, you want me to, to bring somebody on to discuss, or you've got different people that you think would benefit from this platform, or they've got, they've got a message that you think is valuable and needs to get out to the masses. Um, please email me, um, my first and last name, eric.dryman, um, at indy.gov. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not an Instagram guy. I'm not a Twitter guy, unfortunately. Um, but you know, email fire engineering and they'll get it to me. Um, you know, however you can get the information to me. Um, I'm always looking for input, right? Cause I can find topics to talk about every month. I can find guests to talk to um, month in and month out. But if there are people out there that you all want to want me to bring on, I would much rather do that knowing that there's a demand for somebody um, than go out and, and ask people to come on 
um, just because I've worked with them or I know them or whatever. So I hope everybody has a good summer. We'll be back with our next episode um, sometime around the middle of of August. And uh, hopefully I'll have my guest on. Um, I don't want to say who it is in case things don't materialize, but I'm pretty confident we're going to have at least one, if not two guests next month. So uh, be looking for that and um, hope everybody has a good summer and and uh, take care. Thank you.